Cartoons, the animated frontier. These are the voyages of the Cellcast podcast. It's continuing mission to explore strange new cartoons, to seek out new animation styles and new creative storytelling methods, to boldly go where so few ever go again. To another episode of the Cellcast. Joining me today is a man who, uh, well, he just lives to serve. It's it's nice to allows you to put your feet up every once in a while, like well, maybe see. on his back. <laughs> Welcome, <laughs> Jacob. What a thank you, Mesomi. <laughs> yeah, I didn't say you were Lumiere. <laughs> hey, a man can dream, right? Maybe? <laughs> hey, he's suave, he's debonair, and, like he gets all the ladies, so why not? <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> Alright, why thank you, and let me introduce our co-host. He may not be a beauty, but he's a beast of a podcaster. <laughs> Welcome, Drew. I don't know how to respond to that. <laughs> uh, anyway... <laughs> Also, joining us this week is a young lady who uh, promised if we did Beauty and the Beast, she'd be here with bells on. Welcome, Ashley. Hi, guys. How are you doing? Hey, Ashley. Doing wonderful. Thank you all so much for having me on. I am so excited. It's not a problem. We we enjoy having guests on. And uh, this is actually the first time we've had a lady on. So (laughs) this is interesting. (laughs) Oh, man. So... So, yeah, I, I keep hearing you are a big Beauty and the Beast fan. Yes. <laughs> I have been a fan of Beauty and the Beast since it was re- first released back in the fall of 1991. Wow. Yeah, just like... Man, I don't know where to begin with this. Uh, well, why don't you go ahead and start the interrogation? There we go! <laughs> yeah, let's let's start with the interrogation. interrogation. So, as... as as most of our listeners know, if we have a guest on, uh, they get uh, a rapid-fire session of questions regarding animation. So, Ashley, so, hmm, I'm trying to think because I know probably the first one would probably be Beauty and the Beast, but I'm not going to try to go to that one. Uh, <laughs> what was the... What was the first movie you saw on the first animated theater movie movie you saw on theaters animated wise that wasn't Beauty and the Beast? It was 1989's Little Mermaid. I had just turned three. So it is one of the earliest memories that I actually have going to the theater when it premiered. (laughs) Oh, wow. That is awesome. It's like. I, I would have loved to see that movie in theaters because obviously I have I have two younger brothers and my dad would be like, no, we're not going to see that movie. But we did watch Turtles a year later. Uh-huh. All right. All right. So, Was that the live action Ninja Turtles? The live action Ninja Turtles. Yes. I the don't most- remember seeing that in theaters, but I remember seeing The Secret of the Ooze. I don't That's know why one. that one stands out more to me. <laughs> It was the funnier one. It's got more memeing, memeing around it. Agreed. 
completely agreed. <laughs> All right. So question number two, what was your favorite cartoon growing up? Favorite cartoon when you're growing up? Oh goodness. That's super hard. <laughs> Cause there were so many. <laughs> I think the series that I probably watched the most, much to the chagrin of my family and everybody around me, is growing up, I would watch reruns of the Care Bears family. Oh, okay. okay. And I would sing the, the, their theme song a lot. And that, that show just stuck with me just because now that I know so many of the people behind the Care Bears and I know where they show up in places, I have an even deeper appreciation for it. But I have the fondest memories of watching that show more than others. Okay, very cool. Um, okay, interesting. What was your favorite, Drew? What was your favorite car- cartoon growing up? You have to ask. Yes, Darkwing Duck. Let's get dangerous. Indeed. <laughs> my my was obviously Thunder, Thunder, Thundercats. Ho! <laughs> really, I thought it would have been Scooby Doo. I don't know, maybe. <laughs> I've seen all those shows. If it helps. <laughs> yes. <laughs> all right. All right, question number three. So, going to Beauty and the Beast, if you were to have a, if you were able to transport yourself into the world of Beauty and the Beast, what would one, what was the one character you would want to have a conversation with for an afternoon, and maybe a cup of tea? <laughs> Well, as a little girl... So you're meeting at least three characters there. That sounds like three characters. (laughs) Now, are we talking like before or after the end of the movie, during the movie? Because really, the timing is going to kind of influence people's answers. But in all honesty, I loved loved the character of, of, of Belle when I was a child. So I thought it would be very cool to have a conversation with her just because... I felt like I related to her a lot because as a kid, I read a whole lot and I used reading as a form of escapism like she does to kind of get out of the mundaneness of her town. So I would love to kind of have a conversation with her about the day to day. All right. So interesting. I agree. I agree. Definitely. What I like after watching this film and uh, I don't know. I don't know your opinion on the um, the live action version, but we'll get we'll get there when we get there. But uh, our, our last question of the night would be, do you like tea or coffee? Coffee. I like, okay. I like them both, but I drink coffee every day. Tea, not as frequently. So she's definitely not French. <laughs> I know. That was a weird word. That, that, was more of a, that was more of a goof one, but either way. Um, okay. So if you were, if you were stranded, now granted, this cannot be Beauty and the Beast. I thought you said the last one was the last question. I know. I, I, I like. I lied. This is more <laughs> this is torture. Yeah, okay, exactly. Okay, yeah. Okay, okay. This this is a side trip. Okay. <laughs> All right. So if you were stranded on a desert island that you had electricity, you watch watch movies or what have you, but you couldn't watch Beauty and the Beast. I know it's a, it's a sad day for everyone. What movie would that be? Had the animated movie. What would that be? Am I limited to Disney or any? Any 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 anime movie. Well, if I couldn't have my beloved Beauty and the Beast, I think the close second would probably Howl's Moving Castle. I knew that was going to be the answer (laughs) to that question. I haven't seen that movie yet, but I will eventually. Next year, I think, if I've figured out the timing correctly. All right. (laughs) Buckle up. 
Okay. It's kind of anime Beauty and the Beast in a way, but not. Oh, okay. There's parallels and similarities. Yes. You'll you'll see it pretty early on, but it's distinct at the same time. Yeah. Oh, okay. All right, good deal. So I think uh, I think my torture session is done. <laughs> torture session. Uh, so Ashley, since you're our guest, uh, what have you been watching lately? Well, outside of watching Beauty and the Beast and Hell's Moving Castle, I've actually watched three movies in the last less than 48 hours. I was actually challenged by Francisco of the Retro Rewind podcast to finally watch Top Gun and True Lies. And oh, I, yes. And we, we agreed to do an exchange. If I watched Top Gun and True Lies, he would watch the movies When Harry Met Sally and Heart and Souls with Robert Downey mm. Jr. <laughs> and I watched Top Gun and True Lies back to back on Sunday and it made for a very long afternoon. Wow. <laughs> Very long. Wow. Never going to see those movies again. So. Oh, wow. Yeah, well, you're, you're not going to just... give uh, Maverick a shot when it comes out later this year? Uh, I think it's later this year. Absolutely yeah, later not. this year. Absolutely not. After watching that movie, <laughs> I... I fail to see why so many people are compelled to rewatch it and associate with the characters. The only redeeming part of that movie for me was Goose. He was just so likable, and it made me sad. Everything else just made me frustrated. <laughs> okay, sorry. Admittedly, I am looking forward to seeing Maverick this year, but only because I'm probably going to catch it in a theater, and I can just imagine though how good those flying scenes are going to be on the, on the big screen. Oh, yeah. Oh, let me tell you, the cinematography in that film was fantastic. Those Agreed. aerial scenes, that was probably my, one of my favorite parts of it. It was really well done. The transition between the faraway shots to being in the cockpit, and it was really believable. And mm. even though, you know, that movie, what, that movie came out the year that I was born. Um, so what, it's 35 years old at this point. It still yep. looks mm -hmm. really good. And the scenery and where it's set, the Top Gun school, like everything is just very picturesque and beautiful. And I feel like they did a great job there. And it felt believable. Yeah. All right. That was the movie I grew up loving to death. I probably watched it over probably a hundred times from the time I was very small. And you always felt the need, the need for speed. <laughs> See, I didn't watch the movie until last year when we... Uh, that was one of the movies we did that one weekend right before COVID really hit. Back. That is true. And we, that we crammed a bunch of movies in on one day for Movie of the Week podcast. That is true. All I can say with that, jaw dropped. Anyway. <laughs> I don't remember what my thoughts were after we watched that movie. Uh, but anyway. Uh, anything else? Um, I watched Steel Magnolias today. That's a movie I haven't seen yet. I don't know why I wanted to watch it. I just wanted something predictable and to, to kind of have something more peaceful. And I'm like, I'll take a chick flick movie over two action films that I watched back to back. <laughs> I'm also watching season three of, of Fruits Basket as well as the oh, episodes nice. are releasing. So I have a couple episodes in backlog that I need to catch up on. That's been a delightful season so far. Nice. Cool. So, Jacob... Your turn. What have you been watching? Oh, what have I been watching? All right. So I've been watching a little more of the 1980, what was that? 82? No, it was 83. 
1983's uh, He-Man and the Masters of the Universe. Nice. Uh, I picked it up on a DVD on its box set. And also that contains a movie we will be doing next week. Indeed. Yes. Uh, and I also watched that movie. Uh, He-Man and Shira, The Secret of the Sword. It's not as good as I remember it. <laughs> Let's just say that. <laughs> uh, that doesn't surprise me. No, not at all. <laughs> Oh, uh, let's see. Um, I, I, before I came over here, I was watching the uh, the live action remake of this movie, uh, Beauty and the Beast, mm-hmm. to kind of get a comparison what what the differences were. And um, there again, I'm a big history nerd, so I'll I'll bring that up uh, definitely with a historical kind of background, what was going on at the time, because I just it's love those kind of things. Huh? It's called the plague. Well, it's called the Black Death. It's a plague, which we wouldn't know anything about that right no, now. No, would we? we wouldn't know anything about that. You know, thanks, COVID. Anyway, <laughs> uh, I thankfully, think, it wasn't that bad. No, nah, it wasn't that bad. Uh, other than that, that is all I've been watching. So, Drew, what have you been watching? Uh, actually, I haven't had a chance to watch much uh, because over the weekend, I watched and somewhat participated in, kind of in the background. Uh, Geek Devotion's 40-hour live stream that they did for uh, uh, TRAC. Yeah. Uh, they raised enough money to send 14 kids to camp. Wow, that's awesome. And their goal was five, so it's like, yay! But that's a lot of what I was watching over the weekend outside of uh, this movie. Um, and I've been watching some more of uh, Clone Wars. I'm almost done with season four. Okay. Uh, I'm in the last story arc of season four, so I should be finishing that up this week. Excellent. And I think that's about all I've watched. Well, did I mention last week I watched WandaVision? Yes, you did. Okay, then I won't go into that. Just the WandaVision. I rewatched it because I'd seen it, obviously, when it came out. But anyway, that's pretty much what I've been watching. All right. Yeah, WandaVision is a great, great series. Have you, Ashley, have you watched uh, WandaVision? Yes. <laughs> yes, I did. I've been watching all of, the, all of the Marvel Disney Plus series that have been released as they've released. <laughs> they've been really good so far. Yeah. There's things that you can nitpick about and things that people aren't going to be happy about, but I'm just here for the ride. It's been fun. Indeed. Agreed. Same here. So what do you think about uh, Loki coming up? I'm intrigued. I'm definitely intrigued. I'm not going to form any opinions about it because you form opinions about something based on trailers. Nine times out of ten, you end up being wrong because there's so many misdirects throughout this series progression. Indeed. Especially since this one is involving a lot of time travel. Yes. Very true. So who knows where this is going to go? I don't. It's all wibbly-wobbly, timey-wimey. Exactly. Um, all right. Are we, I think we're ready then to jump into the spoiler-free section of our review, if y'all are ready. Yeah. All right, so, Ashley, you're the guest, so you get to tell us first. What are your spoiler-free thoughts on Beauty and the Beast, 1991? Well, I feel like Beauty and the Beast is just a timeless Disney classic. It still has stood against the test of time, even today, many years later. I feel like it's fantastic for families. It has a pretty good message. It really is a tale as old as time. (laughs) (laughs) Indeed. (laughs) All right. Jacob? Oh, Beauty and the Beast. Uh, I remember watching this probably not 
long after it came out on VHS. Uh, this would have been 1991. I would have been eight years old. And just, it's purely, it's, it's an enchanting movie that has just everything, everything a perfect film needs. It has romances as suspense. It has drama. It has action. Uh, it has subplot. It has a, um, in a way, a timing, a, t- a, a timing clock that will be like at this, at the stroke of midnight, things are going to go good. or they are going to go really bad <laughs> in the form of the rose? Uh, I, I enjoyed this movie as a kid. Um, I, I guess that's one of the reasons why, uh, me growing up, uh, cause my mom would buy us all the, the, the clamshell VHSs, And, um, uh, I, I like, when I write something, when I'm creative, uh, I, I like to create a, like strong female characters because I can I can trace that origin back to Disney because the 1990s was just full of them, and so I guess that's just where that inspiration comes from. Uh, I enjoyed this movie. Uh, there again, I have one, two, three, four, five, I think five or six versions of this film. Including the two versions of uh, the live action. Uh, I I enjoyed this movie to death. There is, there's so much magic about it, literally and figuratively. And uh, it's a wonderful, amazing film that everybody needs to see. That, yeah, just go watch it. It's an amazing film. If If you don't have it in a physical form, go watch it on Disney+. Plus. It's available there. And uh, oddly enough, oddly enough, a little story with that. Uh, a few years ago, a, uh, a young woman I worked with named Kayla, that we would sit there and talk and be like, we started talking about Disney because I would talk about anime movies, and she lit up. And this woman was Belle to a T. Like, looked like Belle, acted like Belle, was strong, determined, um, like read constantly it just loved disney beyond belief and she had her own beast too <laughs> that that's uh um stevie her husband and uh th- those two are absolutely an amazing couple they've been married for like how oh, good night probably 15 years at this point and uh I, I was blessed enough to work with her and uh just have so many great conversations about beauty and the beast and all these amazing disney films and uh, i just wanted to say that because it's just whenever i think beauty and the beast i think um Kayla and Stevie. That's the first thing to come to mind when I watch this movie. And, uh, yeah. So yeah. Beauty and the Beast. Love it. Drew. All right. So here's the thing. When this movie came out, I would have been six years old and not exactly in the mood to watch a movie about princesses (laughs) at that age. I think y'all can understand that to some degree. So I, I want my action. I did not see any part of this movie until it was shown at school for some reason. Really? I don't even know why they would have shown this at school, but I know that's where I saw it. And it's probably where I saw like the first three or four viewings of this movie. Yeah. For one reason or another. So uh, I knew most of this movie prior to watching it, but it had been years since I'd seen it. And I know uh, I had never seen the the backstory with the stained glass windows before. Cause for some reason, all these people like to start it right at the title card. 
Really? I don't understand why people do this. Like, I can, I, I watch Star Trek. I can live with opening credits. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah, anyway, so uh, I, I can tell you this viewing, I enjoyed the fool out of it. I watched it on Disney Plus. Um, it was a, the, it was a great transfer on there. I assume it was good on, on in other places as well. Uh, it was a f- good, fun movie. Uh, I love, I love that this actually feels like a stage musical. Yeah, and agreed. that's that's I can say that without spoiling anything. It's just I I can see how this transferred so well to a Broadway show. So yeah, uh, I, if if you're on the fence and for some reason have not seen Beauty and the Beast, go watch it. It's enjoyable. You'll have a good time. So yeah, that's my thoughts. Excellent. All right. So I guess we need to go ahead and jump into the spoiler side of things. So join us on the other side of the bumpers and uh, we'll see if this tale truly is as old as time. Ray. Okay. This progress is a part of Christian Greek Central Network. Hey, Scoop. What are you doing, man? I don't know. I'm supposed to be reading an ad. <laughs> All right, hold on. Give me, give me it. We're okay. <laughs> All right. This podcast is part of the Christian Geek Central Network at ChristianGeekCentral.com. There you can find a collection of blogs and podcasts working together to bring you some of the best content on the web for Christian geeks, such as Helix Reviews. Helix Reviews is a podcast where David Arrington reviews movies, music, comic books, video games, and all kinds of media, all from a Christian geek worldview. His hope for this podcast is that it will be entertaining, informative, and interesting, but will also get you thinking about the media you are consuming. Do you like Star Wars? I don't just mean the original trilogy. Along with that, I mean the prequels, the sequels, the anthologies, the animated shows, and of course, (laughs) who doesn't like Baby Yoda? Well, if you've been in the fandom for any length of time, you know how toxic the fandom can get. And if you'd like to be able to discuss a galaxy far, far away in a much more positive light, might I suggest searching out The Outer Rim, a Facebook group dedicated to all Star Wars. And check out their YouTube channel, which you can easily find at Pop Americana, which the podcast you're currently listening to is also a part of. To find that and more, check out the link in the description. The following is a spoiler-filled review for the movie Beauty and the Beast. Listener discretion is advised. Beauty and the Beast, 1991, was directed by Gary Truesdale and Kirk Wise, who uh, both would go on to continue to direct in uh, Atlantis, The Lost Empire, and The Hunchback of Notre Dame. Uh, It was written by Linda Wolverton, Brenda Chapman, Chris Sanders, Bernie Mattinson, Kevin Harkey, Brian Pimentel, Bruce Woodside, Joe Ranth, Tom Ellery, Kelly Ashbury, and Robert Lance. Sorry, Robert Lentz, not Lance. Uh, The original story was by... uh, Boy, this isn't French. Uh, (laughs) No pressure. Jeanne-Marie Le Prince de Beaumont and Gabrielle Suzanne Bardot de Villeneuve. I probably said the last name wrong, but oh well. (laughs) Uh, getting into the cast, uh, Robbie Benson plays the beast and in, uh, the movie American dreams, he played a character named professor wit. 
Paige O'Hara was the voice of Belle. And in she played another princess, Princess Alita, in The Legend of Prince Valiant. Huh. Richard White was the voice of Gaston. And do you do any of y'all remember the show Hysteria on Kids WB back in the day? No. Vaguely. It was in that same time block around Animaniacs, the years of Animaniacs and Freakazoid, yeah? Yeah, I around there. vaguely remember seeing, like, bumpers for it, but never actually watching the show. So apparently at one point, uh, Captain Picard showed up on there. And I don't know how, but it wasn't voiced by Patrick Stewart. It was voiced by Richard White, who was Gaston, which is kind of an odd choice. Gaston is Picard. That's interesting. I mean, the only other time that Richard White showed up was on House of Mouse. Uh, yeah. Reportraying Gaston. So he doesn't have a whole lot of credits to his name. But I remember on House of Mouse, he would be like, no one breaks their leg like Gaston. And all these ridiculous things. <laughs> it was just so delightful anytime he showed up because he was just there to one up whatever that person was doing. Nice. Oh my gosh, that is amazing. Oh. Oh, it was, I have fond, fond memories of House of Mouse. That was that was a time. <laughs> so uh, Jesse Corti played LeFou. And in the movie Zootopia, he played Mr. Monches. Rex Everhart played Maurice. And in the movie Friday the 13th, he played the truck driver. I don't know which truck driver, because I've only seen the movie one time. Negative. Not a single time. Interesting, though. On Friday mm-hmm. the 13th. Yeah. Yeah. I'm guessing it's the one that finds his clothes there on the side of the road after he's yeah, the that's right. car, I think. Mm. Yeah, anyway. he's, yeah, he plays a dead guy. Yeah, he plays a dead guy. <laughs> Such a wide range. Yes. Uh, <laughs> uh, Angela Lansbury. Sorry. Dame Angela Lansbury yes. played Mrs. Potts. And of course, she's most famous for playing uh, Jessica Fletcher in Murder, She Wrote. <laughs> this is the one that surprised me. Jerry Orbach was the voice of Lumiere. Mm-hmm. And he is known, I think mostly nowadays, and especially known by my mother for this, as uh, Detective Lenny Briscoe in Law and Order. Dun dun! Yeah. I did not realize that was him. Yes. <laughs> it took me a really long time to figure out like who Jerry Orbach was. But once I knew who he was, I'm like, Lenny, Lenny, Lenny from Law and Order is Lumiere. I'm like, what? I, I, you, I can't see it. I honestly cannot see it. He does, Dude. He does such a good job. I agree. You're not supposed now, to know it's him, I guess. Now, now strangely, when, uh, if I, when I was listening to the soundtrack uh, earlier today, uh, I could kind of hear it then. In the singing. But while I was looking at Lumiere on screen, I just couldn't see it. <laughs> I remember I remember back in the day watching Law & Order after realizing, be like, oh, this is the actor who played Lumiere. I'm halfway expecting to walk in and he's a candlestick. <laughs> or a candelabra. I was like, wait, okay, this is kind of disappointing. Just, okay, just, cool. But, but just, like, imagine, he, just imagine him in, in a New York uh, jail going, be our <laughs> guest, be our guest. <laughs> <laughs> that would be something instead of the normal like heaviness of law yes. and order with the bar- yeah. bar- I just I just, <laughs> I just want a blooper of that. I want to see that blooper because that had to have happened one time. Oh, probably <laughs> had to have. Yes. Okay. 
Uh, David Ogden Steers was the voice of both Cogsworth and the narrator. And in Lilo and Stitch, he played Jumba. Ah! Ah, the odds did. Bradley Pierce was the voice of Chip. Mm-hmm. And in the Sonic the Hedgehog Saturday morning cartoon in 1993, he was the voice of Miles Tails Prowler. Oh my goodness, I did not know that. I remember watching that cartoon. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Whoa. Yeah, oddly enough about that, the uh, the voice actor, when they he came in to record and everybody loved his personality, they loved his voice, they just kept adding dialogue to him. So that that's... Was... That... Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. I was going to say, wasn't he originally slated to record like a single line of dialogue and they yes. were just yeah. I'll, so I'll get... enchanted with Exactly. I'll get to that when we get to the trivia because his single line of dialogue is weird for the character. Uh, I look forward to that. Yes. Uh, Joanne Worley was the voice of the wardrobe. And uh, in a goofy movie, she played uh, Mrs. Maples, the secretary to uh, the principal there when Max gets in trouble and he's waiting outside the principal's office. That's her. I gotcha. And this is a this is a word I never thought I'd ever say on this show, but we had two bimbets. <laughs> actually, there were three, but only two of them are actually have credits. Yeah, for some reason, uh, Mary Kay Bergman was one, and in the Spider Man nineteen ninety eight cartoon, she Ooh. played Gwen Stacy. Oh, and uh, Kathy Sochi was the other bimbet. And in Space Jam, she played Lola Bunny. Really? Yeah. <laughs> what? Wow. Okay. Everybody get up. Yeah. It's time to slam now. <laughs> Brian Cummings was the voice of, st- of the stove. Um, did you say Jim Cummings? Brian Cummings. Oh, Brian Cummings. No relation? relation? No relation? It might be. I don't know. Okay. I'll be honest. I did not look that up. He kind of gave me Jim Cummings-esque vibes to him. I originally did think it was Jim Cummings until I watched the credits. Mm. Well, in the original DuckTales cartoon, do you remember the character of Doofus Drake? Yes. No. He is the rather large member of the Junior Woodchucks. Oh, yeah, him. That's who he played. Oh. Aw. (laughs) Tony Jay was the voice of Monsieur D'Arc. AKA the head of the guy who yes. in charge of the asylum. Yes. Mm-hmm. And he was Frollo in the Hunchback of Notre Dame. Huh. That he was. I've never seen Hunchback. We will Did get to that. Did you ever see the show Reboot? The Canadian yes. Yes. animated? I, he I was have... Megabyte. He was Megabyte on Reboot. If that's oh, some that's more, right. That's oh, a better right. reference for you. Yeah. Wow. He's okay. got one note, but it is such a good note that they let him just run with it because yes. he's so, his, his, his voice is just so good. And he's agreed. Always, I've never seen him play anything but a villain and it just works for him. Makes sense to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, I totally hear that now. Retro Rewind in the Francisco in the chat says that a, IMD uh, Brian Cummings uh, is not related to Jim Cummings, so thank you for letting us know that, uh, Francisco. Thank you, Francisco. Uh, last but not least in our cast, our good buddy Frank Welker was the voice of Footstool. Ruff, 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 Who is surprised? <laughs> Nobody. 
because no. I'm not. I'd be surprised if he wasn't part of a Disney that is feature true. where he voices that, something. That's true. That is very true. It's like Alan Tudyk now in Disney films. Pretty much. Like, it's like he's yeah. supposed to be there. Yeah. And, well, he played the character of Henry Fathington in The Computer Who Wore Tennis Shoes. Back in the 60s. It's one of his earliest roles. Wow. Okay. I'd never heard of this film. It's interesting. Okay. <laughs> it's back when computers were magic, as far as most people were concerned. Oh, okay. So it doesn't follow any logical rules, but it's interesting. Okay. Did you see the movie? Did you see the show uh, Chuck? The Little guy bit, gets, yeah. It's kind of that. Oh, okay. But different. I gotcha. Uh, getting into our Kingdom Hearts connections. Angela Lansbury, David Ogden Steers, Robbie Benson, Paige O'Hara, Joanne Worley, they all reprised their roles from the movie in ah. Kingdom Hearts. Also, David Ogden Steers reprised his role as Jumba in Kingdom Hearts. Ah. Throwing that in there. Uh, Frank, uh, Frank Welker, of course, along with playing Footstool here, was Experiment 221 in Kingdom Hearts. Catherine, uh, Kathy Sochi uh, was also the voice of Sally, Shock, and Sora's mother in Kingdom Hearts 1. <laughs> a character we'd never hear from again, exactly. <laughs> if you want So wa- sad. It's yeah. just a check out our Twitch stream, which on YouTube also. Yeah. <laughs> for more on that. Uh, Bradley Pierce, while playing Chip here, was also additional voices in Kingdom Hearts. Chris Sanders, who wrote here, is, of course, always and forever will be the voice of Stitch. (laughs) And he reprised that role in Kingdom Hearts. Uh, Bill Farmer was the voice of Stanley in this. I didn't bring him up earlier. But, of course, he is Goofy. And uh, Tony Anselmo, who was the animator on the wardrobe, is, of course, Donald Duck. I'm not going to try to do that one. <laughs> well, we all know how my voice sounds, and it's kind of pitiful. <laughs> if we're being honest. <laughs> and uh, last but not least, Robert Clotworthy uh, was uncredited in this movie, but he played various background roles, and he also played various background roles in Kingdom Hearts. All right. So what do we got in info and stuff, Jacob? All right, so info and stuff. If I can get to it, because this is a long list. All right, so info and stuff. It is available on Disney Plus if you are a subscriber to that. And if you're not, why? It's Disney Plus. <laughs> well, some people are on more of a budget. Yeah, I agree. And I know a lot of people are just like, I'm not going to support Disney. <laughs> that, that, we're not going to get political here. That's not. Yeah. All right, so IMDb. I said that right for once. At 8 out of 10. It has an 8 out of 10 on IMDb. On Rotten Tomatoes, this is a 94 score and an audience score of 92. What in the world, people? All right. Production was the Walt Disney Pictures, Walt Disney Feature Animation, Mm -hmm. and Screen and Silver Screen Partners. Four, I believe. Four. Yeah, four. There again, for most people know, I, I, I bumble over this the entire time, so I'm very happy that I didn't say uh warner brothers <laughs> all right so it was distributed by bonavista pictures it was released initially september 20 29th 
1991. And then it was released November 22nd, 1991 here in the States. Box office. It had an estimated budget of $25 million. Very good for an anime movie at the time. Especially all things considered. Yes, exactly. All right, so it's opening U.S. weekend was $162.1 million on November 17th, 1991. Its U.S. gross domestic was $218.9 million. Its world gross was $424.5 million. It definitely made its budget back in spades, or in this case, spoons. <laughs> okay. All right. So it had uh, obviously it had home release because they're not going to leave this one in the vault. They didn't. Kind of like Black Cauldron. Thank well, you. Just I, saying. I think it was in the vault a little bit here and there over the course of time, oh, yeah, but we'll, never long in the vault. Yeah, we'll get there. All right. So October thirtieth, nineteen ninety two. 92? Yeah, 92. I was, my dyslexia kicked in for a month. I was like, wait, huh? All right. Uh, it was released in the U.S. and Canada on a home, on Walt Disney Home Video, uh, currently known as Walt Disney Studios Home Entertainment. Uh, it was released on VHS and Laserdisc as part of the Walt Disney Collection. Although it did not, uh, nah, excuse me although it was not included in the Walt Disney Masterpiece Collection line. In 1993, the film was released on home video in different countries. Uh, September 20th that year, it sold a record 8.5 million units. Uh, Beauty of the East Special Edition, the enhanced version of the film, was released on IMAX in large, ma large format. Uh, this was also called the Platinum Edition for the DVD and VHS release in 2002. The DVD, the DVD featured three versions of the film. The enhanced IMAX special edition with the human again sequence added. The original theatrical release and the New York Film Festival work in progress version. The film was released from the vault. That all powerful Disney vault. On November 20, 23rd, 2010. A five-disc pack with a three with a Blu-ray 3D, Blu-ray 2D, DVD, and digital copy was released on November 4th, 2000, 2011. A 3D combo pack, which was identified as the original Diamond Edition, uh, was released the same time. Uh, the Blu-ray. The Blu-ray release went on to went into the little, went into the Disney Vault along with its two sequels on October thirtieth, two thousand twelve. A 25th anniversary signature edition was released on digital HD on September sixth, two thousand sixteen, along with a Blu-ray DVD combo on September twentieth, two thousand sixteen. On two thousand fourteen. Disney announced. Good night. How many versions of this movie? Do they There's have? a lot. <laughs> and now we're getting into the live action version. Oh, that's a different movie. That is. But it is worth bringing up. 
If you say so. Yes. <laughs> so in 2014, Walt Disney Pictures announced a live a- action adaptation of uh, Beauty and the Beast that was in the works. Uh, the film was re- uh, film began on May 18th, 2015 in London. Uh, production officially wrapped on October 15th. The film was released to uh, the United States and worldwide on May 17th, 2017. All right, so on to sequels. And there's one of them I never heard of. All right. I only uh, knew of the one. Oh, there's three of them. Really? <laughs> there's three of them. <laughs> They're All not right. worth mentioning. Yes, but <laughs> we have feeling. to mention them here. I had a feeling. <laughs> All right, so the movie spawned three direct-to-video sequels. Beauty and the Beast, The Enchanted Christmas of, two, uh-huh. of 1997, Beauty and the Beast, Belle's Magical World, of 1998 and Bell's Tales of Friendship 1999 which all take place within the timeline of the original this was followed by a spin-off television Sing this movie Me a Song takes place in less than a week Bell. how does they have time for all this huh this movie takes like a week to get in terms of time how do they have time to have all these other interstitial stories <laughs> well the enchanted christmas takes place over like a day and a half Okay. I don't know about the others. Okay. Don't watch them. Please don't watch them. They're terrible. Oh, I've seen reviews of them. And I remember seeing the video that they captured. It's like, oh my word. Yeah, the tune is not normally this bad. <laughs> yeah, I was unaware that they actually had a, a television series. Sing me a song with Belle. I was like, what in oh, the Oh, I remember this. This is a live action series, too. Mm-hmm. There was a puppet cat on that series. Uh, there was. There's a puppet cat. Yes! In wow. her little library. Wow, wow, wow. Oh, my word. I forgot about that. <laughs> to just now. Anyway. All right. So that is all I have for info and stuff. All right. Getting into the summary. An enchantress disguised as a beggar woman offers a rose to a cruel and selfish prince in exchange for shelter from a storm. When he refuses, she reveals her identity for the prince's arrogance. She transforms him into a horrendous beast and his servants into household objects. She casts a spell on the rose and warns the prince that the spell will only be broken if he learns to love another and be loved in return before the last petal falls or he will remain a beast forever. Ten years later, in a nearby village... Belle, the book-loving daughter of an eccentric inventor named Maurice, dreams of adventure. She frequently tries avoiding Gaston, a narcissistic hunter who wants to marry her because of her beauty. On his way to a fair to showcase his latest invention, an automated woodchopper, Maurice gets lost in the forest and seeks refuge in the beast's castle, but the beast imprisons him for trespassing. When Maurice's horse returns without him, Belle ventures out searching for him and finds him locked in the castle dungeon. The beast agrees to free Maurice if she takes his place as prisoner. Belle befriends the castle's servants, Lumiere the Candelabra, Cogsworth the Clock, Mrs. Potts the Teapot, and her son Chip the Teacup. They serve her a dinner through song. When she wanders into the Forbidden West Wing and finds the rose, the beast catches her and angrily forces her to flee the castle. In the woods, she is ambushed by a pack of wolves, but the beast rescues her and is injured in the process. As Belle nurses his injuries... A rapport develops between them, and as time passes, they begin to fall in love. 
Meanwhile, Maurice returns to the village and fails to convince the townsfolk of Belle's predicament. Hearing Maurice's statements about the beast, Gaston hatches a plan. He bribes Monsieur de Arc, the warden of the town's insane asylum, to have Maurice locked up as a lunatic. With no one to support her, Belle would have no choice but to marry Gaston. Before they can act, however, Maurice leaves for the castle to attempt a rescue alone. After sharing a romantic dance with the beast, Belle uses the beast's magic mirror to check on her father and sees him collapsing in the woods. The beast releases her to save Maurice, giving her the mirror as a souvenir. After Belle takes her father to the village, a band of villagers led by Gaston arrives to detain Maurice. Belle uses the mirror to show the beast to the townsfolk, proving her father's sanity. Realizing that Belle loves the beast, a jealous Gaston has her and her father locked in the basement and rallies the villagers to follow him to the castle to slay the beast. With the help of Chip, who arrived at their house as a stowaway, and Maurice's wood-chopping machine, Maurice and Belle escape and rush back to the castle. During the battle, the beast servants fend off the villagers. Gaston attacks the beast in his tower, who is too depressed from Belle's departure to fight back, but regains his spirit upon seeing Belle return. He defeats Gaston, but spares his life before reuniting with Belle. However, Gaston fatally stabs the beast with a knife and falls to his death. The beast dies in Belle's arms before the last petal falls. Belle tearfully professes her love to the beast, and the spell is undone, reviving the beast and restoring his human form, along with all his servants and his castle. The prince and Belle host a ball for the kingdom where they dance happily. Getting into the trivia for this. The last phrase of Cogsworth's line, flowers, chocolates, promises you don't intend to keep, were ad-libbed by David Ogden Stiers. Mm-hmm. Dame Angela Lansbury, who played Mrs. Potts, thought that another character would be better suited to singing the ballad Beauty and the Beast. Directors Gary Truesdale and Kirk Wise asked her to make at least one recording to have for a backup. That one recording is the one that ended up in the movie. Mm-hmm. When uh, Paige O'Hara was auditioning, a bit of her hair flew in her face and she tucked it back. The animators liked this so much they put it in the movie. Rupert Everett auditioned for the role of Gaston. But, but was told by the directors he didn't sound arrogant enough. <laughs> Who he, was this? He remembered this when he voiced Prince Charming in Shrek 2. Oh my. Gosh. He was certainly arrogant in that role. Very yeah, just, much Just so. a little bit. Uh, in the original story, the, uh, the prince was not turned into a beast for being selfish and unloving, but because he refused to marry his evil fairy godmother. Likewise, Beauty's challenge in understanding the Beast was not his volatile temperament, but his stupidity, for in Beast form, he could not express himself intelligently. All of the songs in the movie were the last complete works for a movie by Academy Award winner Howard Ashman. Mm -hmm. Ashman died eight months prior to the release of the movie. This movie is dedicated to Ashman. At the end of the final credits, you can read his dedication to our friend Howard, who gave a mermaid her voice and a beast his soul. Yes. We will be forever grateful. The majority of the sculptures seen in the castle are different earlier versions of the beast. Uh, until Disney Pixar's Up in 2009 was nominated in 2010, this was the only animated movie to be nominated for the Academy Award for Best Picture. Uh in the 1930s and again in the 1950s, Walt Disney attempted to adapt Beauty and the Beast into a movie, mm -hmm. but could not come up with a suitable treatment. 
So the project was shelved. It wasn't until The Little Mermaid 1989 became hugely successful that they decided to try it for a third time. Uh, Glenn King, the su- supervising animator on The Beast, created his own hybrid beast by combining the mane of a lion, the beard and head structure of a buffalo, the tusks and nose bridge of a wild boar, the heavily muscled brow of a gorilla, the legs and tails of a wolf, and the big bulky body of a bear. Boy, that was alliterative. Uh, he also has blue eyes, the only physical feature that does not change whether he is beast or human. The first stained glass window seen in the prologue has the Latin phrase, Vincent qui se Vincent. I probably said that wrong, but okay. Which means, in the subtle prefiguring of the arc of the whole story, he conquers who conquers himself. Uh, Do y'all know that Chip is the only member of the Beast staff to refer to Belle by name? Huh. I didn't realize that. Yeah. Thinking about it. Yeah. The uh, smoke seen during the transformation at the end is actually real smoke and is not animated. It was originally used in The Black Cauldron in 1985. Robbie Benson's voice was altered by the growls of real panthers and lions so that it is virtually unrecognizable. His voice is not changed on the original motion picture soundtrack, which is why, as the prince, whose voiceover thoughts are heard in Something There, his voice is different. In contrast, when this movie was remade in 2017, the Beast sings Something There out loud to himself, as well as an original song, Evermore. Because these were done out loud, actor Dan Stevens' voice was altered. In the Mob song, where Gaston sings Screw Your Courage to the Sticking Place, this is a reference to Shakespeare's Macbeth. Mm-hmm. Jackie Chan performed the voice acting and singing for the Beast in the Chinese Mandarin Chinese version of the movie, which just wow. seems weird to me. That is interestingly cool. That's awesome. Yes. Admittedly, uh, Chip originally had only one line, which was "Prepare to die." What? <laughs> yes, but the producer Little Chip. Yes, imagine. Those words coming out of his voice. Coming out with his voice. Prepare to die. But the producers like Bradley Pierce's voice so much that extra dialogue and business was written and storyboarded for the character. Oh, wow. The original cute character of the movie was a music box, which mm-hmm. was supposed to be a musical version of Dopey from Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs, which could soothe the beast with its music and stowed away with Belle when she was freed. But when Chip's role was expanded, the music box idea was scrapped. However, it can be seen for a brief moment on a table next to Lumiere just before the fight between the enchanted objects and the villagers in the Beast Castle. Uh, This was the first animated feature to win a Golden Globe Award for Best Picture, Musical Mm -hmm. or Comedy. Uh, It was nominated for an Oscar for Best Picture, losing to The Silence of the Lambs. Uh, By the time Alan Menken and Howard Ashman won an Academy Award for Best Original Song, of course, Ashman had already died, uh, Ashman's longtime romantic partner, Bill Launch, accepted the award on his behalf. Uh, I think that's pretty much the most. Yeah, that's pretty much going to be it because everything else is just kind of extra. Oh, no, there is one more interesting one. Scheduling conflicts with Star Trek The Next Generation forced Sir Patrick Stewart to turn down the role of Cogsworth. 
He was able to do voice work in Disney's animated movies Chicken Little and Bambi and the Great Prince of the Forest. Imagine the difference this makes with Patrick Stewart voicing Cogsworth. That is interesting to also think that I can uh, see him in the role, which is crazy. And to think that uh, Sir Ian McKellen and then he probably would have done the narrator also. Yeah, he probably probably. probably. I I do want to bring up one little bit of trivia. Okay, so speaking of Mrs. Potts, let me get my notes up. All right, so uh, Angela Lansbury was very nervous about doing the song Beauty and the Beast. She's like, I really don't know. I don't want to do this. And so they ch- they were like, oh, okay. Um, the composer of this film is Alan, Alan Minkin. Min- Alan, Alan Minkin. Yeah. So the they, they they were like, like, why do you want to do it? But like, I really don't sing. It's just like, they're like, oh, wait a minute. So they go check her cassette. It was like, wait, this is Alan's demo. They're like, hold on. So they get Howard Ashman's cassette to her and out and um ashman basically he just says it he says it with a little harmony he's like oh i can do that and that's the first take interesting yeah <laughs> things you'll learn watching the featurettes <laughs> so uh now that we've gotten through all that and i've talked a whole bunch ashley what's your first like for this movie well in all honesty one of my biggest likes of this entire film is the art style from yes. the backgrounds to the character design to how beautifully it integrates with the cap system. Everyone remembers that iconic ballroom scene as it just transitions mm-hmm. from the floor to going to the ceiling with the cherubs just seemingly come to life. It's just, it stays with me. And I, rewatching it this week, I was like, oh my goodness, it's just as pretty as I remember. It looks just <laughs> as good as it did. All those years ago, and it still makes me very excited to see because it is just so beautiful. Agreed. Completely agreed. The animation in this film is absolutely just breathtaking. It's it's Disney learning from everything they learned from, I guess it would probably be like the Black Cauldron and all the problems they have with that film mm-hmm. to like from Great Mouse to... Little Mermaid, Rescuers Down Under, which is an amazing film, and then you get to this breathtaking film, and then you're just you're you're on your way into the uh, the uh, the 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 Disney Renaissance. Yeah, it's just animation gold. Really, the I, f- I feel this is the first movie of the Renaissance, and everything else was really leading up to it. Yeah, they yeah. include the Little Mermaid, but this is for me. It's the standout just because of how beautifully it's put together mm-hmm. and how meticulous all the different character designs. And even watching the end credits, just seeing the teams of people, yeah. mm-hmm. the individual characters, like even the secondary characters had lead animators and all this time spent developing them. And it shows in the, in the finished production. Well, the thing is little mermaid still has a couple of crunchy bits of animation in it in certain spots. Not a, a lot, mind you, but there's some stuff that, you know, kind of, is not as good as it could have been. I can't think of a moment in this movie where it's like that. There's a few. There's a few, but they're like so few. And most of it, I think I can contribute to is like early 3D, but even that is done so well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The, the, the only scene I can really think of where be like it's like crunchy or like watching the, for, for this for the review was when we first get the like the full reveal of the V's when it's going through the, the prologue, 
be like the 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 beast ducks and covers himself, but then goes completely still and it continues the frame, mm-hmm. like they forgot to animate anything else. <laughs> and there's oh, there's the there's little bits here and there. That's a standard animating animate animation technique though. Once he gets into the frame, I would agree. I would agree, but he was just he just went stuck and it just panned past him. But either way. Uh, Jacob. All right. So speaking of animation, the beast transformation sequence. I absolutely love this scene. It'd be like one, just um, a conclusion to an amazing scene at the very end of this film and the, this very touching emotional scene between bell and the beast and the, the behind story behind this, this scene is absolutely incredible. If you've ever seen the, uh, the pencil test to this is absolutely incredible. So Glinking, who is the, the, uh, the, the lead animator on this, on this, on the beast does. I, I love Glinking's work. He's an amazing artist. Mm-hmm. I would love to meet the man someday. So there is, so he describes in this one part of the, um, the documentaries within the, the uh, featurette that, uh, it's like, we, we all love, like we're, we're in the dinner, but we can't wait to get the dessert. So we, we save off and be like, we just, we, we don't eat all, we don't eat everything until like dessert. Cause that's the best part. So this scene was like the best part. This was like the culmination of his, like his love for this film and what it meant the most to him in this film. And so the, uh, the director or somebody went to him to like, okay, Glenn, um, that's our, you've got, you've got a week to get this done. And he's like, like a week be like, like, this is going to take me forever to do. And be like, I've got to do it right. Got to do it justice. And he's like, whoa, 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 hold on. All right. Forget about the time period. Forget about the schedule. Just do, get it done. Get it done. And so he went, he went, he went, he went across the street to a museum and uh, went and just studied for hours and hours. Our like Rodin sculptures or Michelangelo sculptures and just study the human figure in the whole bit. And, um, how Glenn's Crean described it, it was very much, uh, of the beast transformation of how it was, uh, very spiritual in his faith in, uh, Christ. And, uh, so he gets done and he's reminded of a piece of scripture from, uh, second Corinthians five seventeen. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old, the old has passed away. Behold, a new has come. And so it's this way that the the beast himself has transformed from this man who knows nothing of himself. And he feels nothing for no one else. He, he cares for nothing else. But one girl, one girl changes his life completely. It, tur- it turns his heart. It makes him into a new creation that he willingly gives up his life that he's willing to die because he no longer has, he's, she's no longer in his life. He's, he willingly, he transforms physically from a beast to a man, but 
in a way, spiritually, emotionally, and everything. Like it transforms him completely to a man that was so selfish and so uh, self-centered to a man who had one had gained his humanity back because of love. And that's what Christ did for us. He died for us. Mm-hmm. And so in, in that way, the, the beast, um, in that way of transformation, that's the way of our, our, uh, our spiritual life as Christians is that we, is that, that life is like, once we accept Christ and truly accept him as our savior, like, Everything that was our former lives that we lust for and we longed for is gone. Now, granted, we like we still sin, but at the same time, we're we're new. We're a new creation, and that's 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 a joyful moment. Mm-hmm. And so, what when I saw that and I learned that, I was like, oh my gosh, yes. And uh, that that was my first. I just I love that story. I love the scene. I love the the spiritual parallels. And I just, I ate it up. So yes, that is my number one. The Beast Transformation Sequence. What's yours? Well, how am I going to follow that up? <laughs> <laughs> um, I do, actually, I do have a way. Because the central theme of this movie, which I think is fairly obvious, is that uh, true beauty, it said there in the introduction, true beauty is within. Mm-hmm. And I find it interesting how... And another, another way to look at this is you don't judge a book by its cover. Mm-hmm. And I find how interesting how that is kind of almost throughout the entire movie. Beast, yeah, he's initially as beastly as his outer form shows him to be. But very quickly you learn about his inner... Uh, as, as he's as like you said, he's transformed into a new creation th- uh, because of Bell's love in many ways. Mm-hmm. Uh his inner is essentially a human long before his body shows that. Yeah. But an interesting counterpoint is Gaston. Yes. I Gaston is not just a man. He's in, he's a intentionally handsomely drawn man. Yeah. This is like a man's man. I mean, the his, his uh, theme song is theme song. His song uh, says he's a perfect paragon of a man. Yeah, which is, it, it's just, which is true. Yeah, he's and a yet hero. he's also like the most evil character in the movie. That is so Be- true. Uh, so in many ways, while Beast was a man in a beast's body, Gaston was a beast in a man's body. Yeah, and I love how you can kind of see that how they're flipped mm-hmm. uh, like that, and everyone else is so much in love with Gaston mm-hmm. that they that they they follow him to to kill who I assume is this people's long lost Lord or whatever. I saw, I saw, I'm not sure why the castle was only like a day's ride at most away from this village mm. and nobody understood, but I'll get to that more here in a minute. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. 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 And what you're saying, Drew, like actually leaves perfectly into my second life. Oh, go right <laughs> like, ahead. Go you're, right you're ahead. saying it. And the wheels in my head have been turning. <laughs> <laughs> 
if you'll forgive me for that. No, go um, right ahead. But in all honesty, like I felt like the movie did such a good job of of drawing this parallel of these transformations that are happening throughout the film. Whereas generally in Disney films, you always have a character who is generally the dark mirror to the mm-hmm. main character. Mm-hmm. Like in The Little Mermaid, you've got Ariel. She's wanting to escape the kingdom that her father rules. Right. Ursula wants to control it. But in this movie, instead of the dark mirror mirroring Belle, the dark mirror is Gaston and he's mirroring the beast perfectly. Mm-hmm. And I just thought it was so beautifully done. Whereas you're seeing, you're talking about this transformation, the the transforming power of love and how you see the humanity is gradually regained by the beast and he's becoming more loving and caring and he's being softened over time. Whereas after rejection, after rejection, Mm -hmm. Gaston is this beautiful paragon of a man. People dismiss his callousness and his bad actions because he's the most beautiful, well-accepted man. He's the man's man. Mm -hmm. And how you see the beast is gradually becoming more human, even though people regard him as a monster. He's a monster who becomes a man. And Gaston is a man who ultimately becomes a monster because he's consumed by his jealousy and his pettiness Mm -hmm. and his cruelty to the point where he is going to this person he's never met, his castle, because he's been rejected by Belle way too many times where he just feels so defeated that he has to go and destroy the object of her affection. Mm-hmm. And the fact that he blackmails her, he blackmails her saying that, oh, be with me or your father's going to be locked away. This, it's just so interesting to see the monster become the man and the man become the monster. Yeah. And yes. that's Agreed. always been one of my like, because Gaston He's always been a character that I've just loved to hate so incredibly much just mm-hmm. because he goes through that transition as well. Yes. And his transformation is much more dark because it's on the opposite end of the spectrum as the beast. Yeah. And it's a lot more subtle because he's he kind of yeah. starts off very slimy. Mm-hmm. If you yeah. cuz you you can already tell the minute he's on screen in that fir- at the very beginning it's like okay yeah this is going to be the bad end of the love triangle. Mm-hmm. If it's a love triangle. <laughs> Uh, and and he just gets worse from there, ironically. Even though everyone else loves him, yep. If Gaston yep. was smart, he would have hang up. He would have picked up one of the bimbets and moved on. Probably. <laughs> but his obsession wouldn't wouldn't let him. Pretty much, because he had to have the best. Yeah, he had yep. the best. And doesn't he deserve the best? Yeah. Well, yeah. That. Yeah. Sure. Because it's about him, not about her. Exactly. She becomes thing. a trophy, and he is a right. trophy hunter because he is a hunter, and she is just a trophy of a wife. Mm-hmm. And if yeah. he can't have her, no one can. Yeah, exactly. She's she's the prize that he's just want. He's the prize. Mm-hmm. She's yeah. the prize. That's all. That's all she is. Yep. He might as well be. She might as well be one of the uh, dead animal carcasses he's got in the wall of the bar. Pretty much. Mm-hmm. Yep. Anyway, Jacob, your second oh, line. My second. Speaking of Belle, a proactive princess without Stockholm Syndrome. Yes, thank you. I hate that people say <laughs> yes, she Yes, she doesn't syndrome. have it. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Feel validated right now. She's not even there long enough to get no, Stockholm she's Syndrome not. if that was a thing. Uh-huh. If that was a thing. So. Yeah, okay. So. Because it's less than a week, I swear. No. So there, there's this idea. That ever since 1991, when this film came out, people were saying, like, oh, Belle, she has Stockholm Syndrome. Like, oh, she she fell in love with her captor. It's like, 
Yeah, she fell in love with the man because she fell in love with him, yeah. not because like Stockholm syndrome is basically this this philo- this uh, this psychological idea that you you're 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 held against your will. Wait for the pun. No one else is going <laughs> to get that joke. Either way, either way. <laughs> Sorry, bad inside joke, people. Tempted to edit that out. Either way. Either way. So. <laughs> love it when you crack yourself up. Anyway. Anyways. Anyways. So the idea of Stockholm uh, Syndrome is that you are held against your will. And the the captor is saying, oh, I'm going to let you go. But if you do anything wrong, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do this to you over and over and over again. So. Like according to according to experts, that Stockholm syndrome is more of when, say, a bank robber is put in jail. People are like, like the captors would be like, want his want his freedom and want to go visit him because they fall in love with him. Kind of reminds me of a certain vampire in Twilight. Oh, I don't pay attention to that. Oh, I I watched two of them or two or three of the movies. And I'm like, yeah, Edward, you're like, you are definitely manipulating Bella. <laughs> what? Just go hang out with Jacob. Like Jacob's going to treat you well. I'm just saying. Either way. So that's just the parallel I had with that. So coming back to Belle, coming back oh. to our, our heroine of the you film. Know, I really shouldn't be surprised, Jacob, that you're on team Jacob. Yeah. Really? <laughs> I didn't put that together. <laughs> oh, my. You bark, and your name is Jacob. Of course you're on Team Jacob. And I had a friend named Bella. <laughs> or I, ca- I called her Bella. Oh, me. Sadly, she went, sadly she went with Edward. Either way. I'm not going there. <laughs> Either way. So back to our, our, uh, our, uh, our, our feisty heroine. So Belle is this very intelligent... Uh, proactive, a woman that thinks on her feet. She's intelligent. Like she reads and to kind of put historical standpoint on this film, most likely it takes place somewhere like 17, like 1730, 1740. So you're looking at the, the height of the enlightenment movement. It's just at like, 10 years, 10, 15 years after the black death had hit uh, France at the time. I'm history nut. I, I love studying this stuff. So like historically, this is probably where the story takes place. So the fact to be like, you have Maurice who is a, uh, is a, um, what, what would you call inventor? Maurice? Yeah. He's an, an inventor, an inventor, a creator. And so it would be, it's, it's kind of obvious, not obvious, but it's more that Belle kind of took after her father, that she's very inventive. She's very intelligent. Uh, she reads a lot. And around her around her own hometown, her town, people are like, she's so peculiar. She's so weird. She reads. And I love how they expand that in the, uh, the live action film. But we'll get there when we get there. Um, just the fact that we're getting to the live action film. Maybe here, maybe another podcast. I don't know. Okay, okay. <laughs> but either way, um, 
the the fact that when when it comes to the idea of like her father is now captured by the beast she has to basically negotiate for her his freedom in order and sacrificing her own freedom for her father like her her willingness to give up her own freedom her own life for the man she basically loves the man who raised her the man who brought her up to be the the woman she is and and that's just that the the spiral of this this roller coaster that brings bell into this very much of uh she does she doesn't take crap she doesn't take anything like when when the after the uh the wolf attack after the wolf attack um the the beast is angry that be like just be like she she's literally fighting against the beast she's not backing down she's holding her ground and i'm like dude this is freaking cool when i was a kid i was like wait i don't quite understand what this means but there's something really cool about that but just like with years of just understanding of how things like it was it's simply amazing that you have a character a, a strong female character that is willing to buck up against uh like her romantic interest it's not oh whatever you say dear like no she's like no be like no you frightened me be like you shouldn't have yelled at me just like like a woman that stands up for stands up for herself stands up for her convictions and i'm like dude this is an amazing character i mm-hmm. love the character of bell and um the the fact that like when during the wolf attack she's not oh my gosh be like someone protect me Someone some save me. It's like, yeah, she wants some help, but she's she takes a stick and whacks a few wolves. And I'm just like, this is really it's it's a really amazing character. The how to design her and everything. I just love the character. It's great. And yeah, Belle is my number two. Sorry, that was very long winded, but that's my explanation too. Yeah. It's Belle. No offense, you've been long winded all night. Yes, I have. So I'm, I was kind of used to it at this point. <laughs> Anyway, my number two. You know I'm a music guy. Yes. And you think? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the, the soundtrack throughout this whole thing is just gorgeous. Yes. Uh, this is this is Howard Ashman's last completed work. Yes. Uh, Paul J. Powers did say that he can uh, in the chat. He did say he contributed towards Aladdin. He did, but he didn't finish Aladdin. No. Before he died, Tim Rice did. Right. So. This is and this is all definitely his best, some of his best work. It is some of his most beautiful work, and him and, with Alan Menken just produced a lot of great songs. Uh, almost all of the the musical bits are just beautiful. But let's face it: at the end of the day, I love the villain songs generally more than I love any other song <laughs> in a Disney musical. Right. And in this one, we don't just get one villain song; we get two. We get, of course, Gaston. Which is like the f- one a very fun song to sing, and it's all about you know Gaston as much as he's up into himself and now everyone's praising him and everything, and that's great on one end. The other version, which the other song, which is unfortunately just called the Mob Song, mm-hmm. I prefer call I prefer calling it Kill the Beast because that yes. seems like a much better title. Yes, 
I love this song because it's not just Gaston being the villain. Gaston's the leader of the whole village of villains at that yeah. point because they're all it's it's like they're going after Frankenstein's monster. Yeah, uh, it, it's very much what it's like. Uh, and of course, the the entire thing is it's like it's building up to this whole thing, and then you get the, all the the pot the all all of the uh, the people in. Uh, the objects in Beast Castle get there and they're prepare, preparing for war. And it's like, okay, this is just an, uh, I never thought I would ever hear, see here in a movie called Beauty and the Beast, a war song, <laughs> which is really what it is. It is a war in song. Yes. And it is awesome to hear. And it's, f- I am tempted to download the soundtrack for these two songs alone. Although the rest of it is just beautiful in and of itself. But those two songs I absolutely just love just because of how awesome they kind of are. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, my second like is uh, all the music, but most specifically Gaston and Kill the Beast. Which, unfortunately, brings us into things we don't like about the film. So, Ashley, what is your first dislike, if you have one? It was really hard to come up, so I feel like I'm nitpicking or just going with things that people most commonly cite as the reasons why they don't like this movie. So, right out the gate, when we're introduced to the film, where they say that the Enchanted Rose is going to bloom until his 21st year, and then we find out it's been 10 years throughout different setups in the film, there's that inconsistency throws me off to this day and they later correct it in the Broadway musical mm-hmm. but they change it from 21st year to many years like they just try to catch themselves like oh because if you think about it and the way that it's framed if you're saying okay if it's 10 years later and the rose is going to bloom until his 21st year then the ramifications of that is that the adventurous cursed an 11 year old which yeah I have a problem with that <laughs> Unless, what what unless, boy is not spoiled rotten at the age of 11? Yeah, yeah right? And where are his parents? We don't know. We don't yes. really know. And I know that kind of they kind of undo a little bit of that and they try to give us a better explanation in the live action version. But in this version, the way that it's set up, I'm like, this makes no sense to me. And honestly, mm-hmm. if he was 11 and some random person knocks on the door of the castle, why, A, is he answering the door of the castle when he has servants? Mm-hmm. And yes. secondly... Um, I would feel like most children in that day and age, even in this day and age, stranger danger is a real thing. You don't know who this person is. Yes, you could do something kind by letting them in, but you don't know what the ramifications are going to be. So, I'd like and to... that also goes in like the framework of like, okay, he was either 11 and it has been 10 years mm-hmm. and he's aged. But then at the same time, there's other things in the plot that kind of make me question because the whole character of Chip and how he's a child have they been time locked instead where he's close to his 21st birthday and they're not aging and yeah, Chip makes was sense. cursed as a kid and he's been not aging and he's been stuck in a child form in a teacup and along with all his brothers and sisters yeah. that yes, are still that in the cupboard sleep in the ca- yes yes and everything that goes along with that to this day it still boggles my mind where <laughs> Even in re-releases, they don't try to fix it. And I mean, yeah, that classic Dave Dodogan Styers narration, like it's so wonderfully done. And rest in peace because we can't get him to do that again. Yeah. But um, it just it just sets it up, and everyone's like, it makes no sense. And I I'm I'm a logical person. I'm like, make mm-hmm. it make sense. 
make yeah. it make sense because he was either cursed as a child or somehow you're time locked and even and there's no like in between because either version doesn't really add up for me and it frustrates me very it, much. I, my first dislike is very similar, so I'm going to jump in here. Go for it. At the, I mean, like we said, the castle has only been enchanted for ten years, and nobody in the village knows about the castle, or no rumors have come out about a giant mansion that has a beast in it. That's uh that you can hear growling there's no ghost stories there's no nothing nobody knows about this yet bell can just kind of bump into it after she asks the horse where it is in like yeah. the next scene it's like y'all if this thing is that easy to find because hey the mob at the end of the movie found it fairly quickly too yeah. all things considered and nobody knows about this castle much less that there's a beast in it that makes no sense because at the very least they ought to know they're missing a lord, a ruler that's at yeah. least the lord over the county or something like that, who's yeah. been gone for ten years. I mean, shoot, uh, if all if, if unless there's like some weird slow aging thing going on in the castle, him and Gaston would be about the same age, and I can maybe see them as kids being friends, maybe, but no one seems to know. About any of that stuff that was going on. So it's like... Admittedly, the live action movie does explain it because the village is... It's not it's not cursed also, but it seems to be in the same kind of time loop that the castle's in. And because it, you get the feeling that a lot of this has repeated itself in the live action movie, which is part of what I don't like about the live action but because they try to explain too much, and honestly, everyone complains about the ten years. Uh, honestly, it doesn't bug me that much because I just like, oh, it's a thing that happened. Uh, I just want it to make sense. If yeah. it doesn't make sense, I will try. My brain will try to deconstruct it and make it and, make sense. And that's and, fair. That's fair. It's just and either side because admittedly, I'm nitpicking. I'm at too. odds. <laughs> and admittedly, I'm nitpicking here too. So. Because, uh, honestly, this is something that really doesn't bug me in the moment of the <laughs> yeah. film. It is just kind of a logical fallacy that's like, oh, yeah, the castle's been gone for 10 years. No one in the village who've lived in that village probably for at least 50 years ever seems to know the castle was there. And it's a day's walk at most. No, it's not even a day's walk. It's like an hour's walk at most from the village because they are able to get there the same night. <laughs> Mm -hmm. that they leave to go, to go towards the castle which means Maurice didn't get very far <laughs> before he got lost but anyway that's that's my first dislike also so Jacob okay so mine is the deepest of them all the deepest most hardest question of this movie that I can think of where did Gaston Get a semi-automatic blunderbust. <laughs> I'm it's like, what the heck? <laughs> a problem they had to fix in the live-action film. Yes! Along with everything exactly. else. Exactly. <laughs> Which I'd like to point out, in the course of the movie, does not affect me in the slightest. 
Because I just accepted, oh, he's got a gun. Of course he's got Jacob's a gun. Grounded he's in a history. hunter. It has to be exactly. realistic. Exactly. If it's not realistic, I'll believe, then yes, what I, are they doing? Exactly. I'm, I'm aware it, of this. Oh, it I, drove I, me nuts. We fought over this stuff all the time. <laughs> <laughs> so, like, watching for this for this for for the review, like, as a, as a kid, and I was an older, I didn't think about it. But as an adult and being, you know, the history nerd I am, or the amateur historian I am, I'm like, okay, he's in the song and he fires that that uh, that blunderbust off and it goes off four times. I'm like, whoa, wait a minute. <laughs> like either A, you have multi-shot in there. Two, like, yeah, that can happen historically. You can you could put multiple multi-shot in a blunderbust, but it's gonna go everywhere. And it it hits that one center mass of that barrel. I'm like, okay. I can bite, but at the same time, be like, semi-automatic weapons weren't created until like the late, uh, the late, the late 19th century. So in in that regard, I was like, okay, Gaston, did you jump in a time machine? Go forward in time, modify your your blunderbuss for this one shot. <laughs> And Jacob. one, he never pulls the trigger more than once. Jacob. Oh, he's just, boom, boom, boom. Jacob. It's called an anachronism. I know that. And you want to know something? Everybody's guilty of this. I know. Even Shakespeare is guilty of anachronisms. I know. I let thought it was funny. Let it make like Elsa and let it go. I, I can't. Say, I can't how, hold it back anymore. Okay. How does he feel about the imagery of the Eiffel Tower in BR? Oh my gosh! Yeah, that doesn't that. exist for like another century. I didn't realize that. Yeah. Not, not it, to it, mention if like another hundred years wasn't created. Not to mention if we're talking about Aladdin, all those anachronisms that Genie pulls <laughs> on. <laughs> it's uh, it's artistic. It's, it's, if it's for the reason of art artisticness. Oh, yeah, I know. You should let it go. <laughs> but my history heart says, no, I had to explain. This is wrong. <laughs> I have no room to talk when it comes to following the logic of of internal lore in different movies. Right, right. I'm saying right now, let it go. <laughs> let it roll. <laughs> but either way, yeah, it was this multi-shot <laughs> blunder bust. I saw that and I was like, I'm going to bring that up. <laughs> so that's my number one. It's like, dang, Gaston, you jumped in the time machine and got a blunderbuss from the 20th century and brought it back. <laughs> Either way. No, no, that's not the thing. <laughs> I know what happened. Okay. You see, while Gaston does not show up in Kingdom Hearts. Okay. He is... Alluded to exist in that universe, I think, just by the mere existence of both Beauty and the Beast in in that universe. Okay. I have a feeling he must have hitched a ride on a gummy ship, headed <laughs> on over to Deep Jungle, and stole Clayton's gun. That's what <laughs> happened. Okay, minus Clayton did not use a blunderbuss. It's a gun. He stole the gun. Moving on. Different gun. Different gun. And okay, plus, so that was still year, a single shot. It's a hundred year difference. Can we just move on? <laughs> maybe. <laughs> just maybe. Like, rent has not even begun. Well, technically it has. How do you know he didn't just steal it from his archaic collection? Anyway. 
you have no idea what the guy from Tarzan was tinkering on when he was not showing up in the game. Anyway, <laughs> he was hunting gorillas. That's all he's doing. No, no, I meant Jane Porter's father. Oh, okay, that guy who doesn't show up in the game. Oh, uh, so anyway. okay. Well, anyways, <laughs> uh, Ashley, what's your second dislike if you have one? Oh man, this was such a nitpick, but it drove me crazy with Lumiere how he had different levels of flammability. Yes. He and the feather dusters, she says, oh, I've been burnt by you before. But yet there's this one scene before the castle is stormed. He's he's hanging out with the feather duster. They're behind this curtain. You can see his flames and he's clearly mm-hmm. touching the veil, but it's not catching fire. Uh-huh. Is, he, is he able, is this sentient fire and he can decide what's able to burn and what's not? Considering he can put himself out and light himself at, at will, yeah. I'm kind of going to go with that. <laughs> He I was, assume he that was, he can also he control his own temperature. In that moment, but he was right of course against... he was lit. They were behind the curtain. So I'm supposed to believe that he is right behind this curtain and it's not catching on fire. Yeah. Well, he hasn't had... quite unleashed his Latin love yet. Uh, yeah, that, that comes <laughs> More later French when, love. He, when he's yeah. about to like do like a whistle and he just creates this big veil of fire. There just yeah. needs to be li- varying levels of inconsistency. Yeah. And yeah, that's a bottom of the barrel nitpick. I don't really have too much about this film. I don't like. It's that's his that's, mutant power. We've, we've run into this many a time, so don't yes. worry. <laughs> it's um, inconsistencies that make me batty. I'm just like, make it make sense. I mean, I get that he's a he's a sentient candelabra. He probably has control over the varying levels of flame because we see him. You make a comment. He 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 puts himself out. But at the same time, if that's an extension, what in the world is going out? What part of him are those? Like his fingers? Is he's like well, getting into like the metaphysics of it? It just oh goodness. I I, <laughs> I don't know. I'll be honest. I don't know. I don't either. I, I but thought, he can just I, willingly stop it. <laughs> Yeah, I don't under. I'm assuming that's part of the enchantment and how it affected him. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, he does have a burning heart. Yeah, but anyway, <laughs> which can never be extinguished. He's like what? What? Kind of like a Charizard <laughs> minus that's his tail won't burn out. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> I'm gonna jump into my second dislike here. All right, and it kind of goes to what I said earlier. This movie's timetable is awfully quick. It is. I mean, at most, they're a, an hour's walk from horse right between the castle and the village. Uh, she falls in love with the beast really quickly. I mean, I know she has no one else to talk to, and who else she's going to fall in love with? Lumiere. Well, it's over the course of seasons. What seasons? We see rain and snow. Around here, that's what we call January. <laughs> In Texas, Without yes. the snow. <laughs> Admittedly. Uh, there's, not, there's no real... I would say it takes place over the course of a long time, except there's no way of really telling how long it's actually taking. Because, I mean, how long did LeFou stay out by their house yeah, waiting for them to question. show back up? And I mean, he's not... Snowstorm. Yeah. I mean, he didn't die. He was there for like a, at least at least a week. At least. And yet he still didn't die. So he, at least he had something to eat from time to time. Someone turned him into a snowman for some reason. Yeah. Some of you speculated that he like he was there an entire year. 
But because there's no proof of any of that. We I, don't agree, I would agree with you on that. All we see is rain. In terms of weather, all we see is rain and snow. Yeah. And a couple of sunny, uh, some sun. The day to night cycle really only shows you about four separate sections there. Maybe. I don't, I, without knowing the exact length, I have to assume that visually what I'm seeing is the amount of time it's the movie's taking, which is a little under a week. Maybe I'm maybe I'm looking too much into it. It's just I don't. And admittedly, it sh- as a kid, I just assumed it was like over the course of a winter, like between fall to spring, because it kind of has that feel. Admittedly, yeah. but there's that's my feeling too. Mm-hmm. But there's nothing that actually shows that. We never get the. Sp- the spring thaw or anything like that. We never get any clue as to how much time is taking place. Always. Heck, we've got a walking, talking clock and he can't tell us what the date is every once in a while. <laughs> I mean, come on Cogsworth. So wait get a together. second. Did, have you seen the, that's why I said that back during the, when he was going through all the things like this movie takes place in less than a week from all I can tell. How did they get this many movies? <laughs> yeah. So did you watch the version with human again? Um, or was no. it just the standard? It's the standard. I did. Standard version. I did. Um, because human again, it kind of answers a couple of things, but I feel like it still doesn't solve your time equation. Yeah. Because it's, it shows you where Philippe goes during all that time. Mm-hmm. Because in that scene, they're showing the stables. And what's really weird about Human Again is it's actually showing, like, the winter thawing. But then, like, a scene later, it's back to the original version and it's winter again. So it, it's kind of like, I feel like this place operates in a time paradox because you can't tell. You're absolutely right. right. You can't tell you, you can't, where we are, when we are. Mm-hmm. Right. You can't tell. So all I'm left with is the visual days I see in the film. It's... It's less than a week. So it's like... Roughly. You know, I'd like to find a woman who'd fall in love with me that fast. That'd be nice. <laughs> At this point, I'd like to find a woman who'll fall in love with me. But... Uh, <laughs> I, I I don't... I know there is a, such a thing as love at first sight, but I think that's fairly rare. And... It happens. I know it happens, but I think it's rare. At least I like to think it's rare. Uh, I, I, just, I just don't see how... She got over the his grizzly appearance so very fast. He saved her life. Exactly. Maybe. I mean, admittedly, I'm a guy. I, I don't think like that. But she was literally swept off. Well, she swept him off his feet to put him on the horse. That's I don't know true. how she did that. Yeah, she's stronger than life. you think she is. Yeah, he saved her life, and I think that really changed. Like she saw the humanity. Like he was fighting for her, and she saw. It, it ties mm-hmm. into the song something there. She's seen something there that wasn't there before. before. Exactly. Right. But I mean, it's still pretty fast. I mean, admittedly, I have not been in the situation. I have yet to fall in love with anybody. So bear that in mind. But it's, maybe, and maybe it's just something I just don't have perspective on. But it just seems like it's fairly quick. So it can be. It's a fair point. Yeah. Agreed. Also, Gaston could have gone out and looked for her if it was more than a week and probably found that castle pretty easily. Yeah. It's not that Especially well after hearing hidden. Maurice talk about it. It's like, oh, just in case, let's just go out and go hunting. Oh, look, there's a castle. That exactly matches what Maurice was saying. I wonder if there's a beast inside. I wonder if that's where <laughs> Belle is. I mean, he's a hunter. He's got to go hunting every once in a while. We never yeah. see that in the movie, but... A hunting, I will go. Anyway, unless he's the one that killed Bambi. Oh, jeez. Baby's mother, I mean. 
No, that was what's his face from uh Oh, uh who from Rajrat? Oh yeah, that's right. <laughs> uh Talk Brown, because I can't think of yeah. the character's name. <laughs> Judge Brown. Doom. Judge Doom. Yeah, Judge Doom. Uh okay, anyway, that's my second dislike. What's yours, Jacob? Mine is uh slight dialogue discrepancies. And to explain why, okay, so when Maurice busts into the tavern and he says that you know the beast has her, he is a locked her in the dungeon. Well, obviously from the animation, she's not locked in the dungeon, she's locked in the tower. And That's another kind of a dungeon. Yeah, it's kind of a dungeon, but dungeons are down and towers are up. He's Maurice is an absent minded professor. Give him a little bit of wiggle room. Eh. <laughs> Oh, right. lost an emotion in that moment. He's panicking. I, I would say whatever it can. I, I, I agree with you there. Uh, uh, the picture where the uh, the scene where the um, where um, oh darn, I'm lo- I've uh, Belle is talking about her book and how this is amazing and mm-hmm. uh, and the sheep I mean, like the sheep come over and you know bite a picture of the bite a uh, cute. yeah, which is a cool scene. Uh, but you, the pic, the book she has has pictures, so and then Gaston says, "Why doesn't there any pictures?" There's no in this? pictures in this. Yep. <laughs> so there, there's these little dialogue inconsistencies. And it's like just little here and there that are just like it's like okay, that's slightly annoying. I, I get the one where Maurice Maurice is panicking. He's fearful for his daughter's life. And he's trying to get somebody to help him, and he's not he's not like logically thinking through things. It's just gets coming naturally. But I was just like. Okay, that's a bit that's a bit odd, but yeah, that's mine. Which is just the um, slight inconsistencies in dialogue or placement of stuff. I, that's still I'm, granted. That's an extreme nitpick. That's fair. Mm-hmm. I just you know, bear with me for kind of jumping towards likes, but this just hit my brain. In that song, she mentions that. Uh, you know, she's talking about the book and what she loves about the book as she's mm. talking to the sheep. And she says, here's where she he meet, she meets Prince Charming, but she doesn't realize it's him until chapter, chapter three. three. Yes. Mm-hmm. Much like she meets the beast, but doesn't realize he's Prince Charming until later on. Yeah. The I third act. I noticed that illusion. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah, foreshadowing. I, I, yeah. I, I just meant, noticed that. I'm sorry. So, yeah. Uh, I think that brings us to the end of our likes and dislikes. So we need to rate this thing. Uh, Ashley, what is your rating on a scale from zero to ten? Oh goodness, it's a nine and a half. Okay, nine point five. And that would be because that would be because it is a timeless animated tale. We have a strong heroine in the character of Belle. It presents a love story, but it doesn't feel one-sided, and it doesn't feel like it channels, like, like the feelings of past Disney feelings where, oh, the prince, the prince sees the princess. Oh, I have to marry her. She's beautiful. They actually come from a feeling of mutual growth, and they, it becomes something mutual, and it's just, there's the fantastical elements with the enchantress and the curse and the enchanted servants and 
there's just so much layering to this film. It, it feels like it's like the perfect Disney love story because they're both coming from different places. They help each other along the way and they change each other. Belle in the beginning is a little bit of a snob and she kind of softens. She puts the beast in his place and he softens as well and regains his humanity. And it's just a wonderful tale of about the transformative power of love. Like mm -hmm. it is just such what Jacob was saying earlier about scripture and love being a great parallel. Oh, it's just, just it was so wonderful to hear that. And I was thinking that as well. And I'm like, oh my goodness, this this is probably my favorite romantic love story, but at the same time, just love in general. Mm -hmm. It's it's a beautiful thing to see on screen and and they get their happy ending, but they didn't just kiss to wake somebody up or oh stumble find someone's glass slipper and go oh she was pretty i found her glass slipper now she's gonna marry me like they have an actual relationship mm -hmm. which you really don't see in a lot of disney movies so i felt like it was a great film for a girl who saw it for the first time when she was five it yes it was a fairy tale yes there were things that were unrealistic but at the same time i feel like it was re realistic in its portrayal of love so all those reasons, the enchanted objects, Gaston as a tomfoolery of a villain, like he, you just love to hate him. He's mm -hmm, so ridiculous. Mm -hmm, agreed. Um, it's just my favorite and I can't, I can't help it. It's just the, the, the curse and not understanding how it works. <laughs> mm -hmm. And that's the only reason why I'm knocking 0.5. I would give it a perfect 10, but it's the little things that kind of take a little bit away, but it's, it's so good. I agree. Uh, I'm giving it a nine. It's it's a it's a great movie. It's probably honestly as much as I love Lion King. I think this is the better movie than Lion King is by a long shot. Uh, this is just so much of a better story. Um, yeah, it's is a little bit I I knock off just because it's not. I don't know. It, it I, I don't want to give it a ten because there is some weird stuff in there, but. Nine, it's about not. It's right where I'm going to put it. It's it's a great movie. If you've never seen it, hey, what are you doing listening to us now? You should have cut us off at the spoilers. But uh, definitely go watch it. It's a great movie. Uh, you definitely give it a nine. Jacob? Like Ashley, I'm going to give it a 9.5. Uh, 9 it's an amazing film. Uh, the the fact that, little, little bit of trivia, the fact that they were working on this movie for nine months nine months and they went to Katzenberg. Thanks Katzenberg. And he said, trying. huh? He was trying. He was trying. Well, apparently they got good news and bad news. Bad news is you got to start the project over. And good it took him a bit. You're going on a field trip. Yeah. You're going <laughs> on a field trip. Surprise. <laughs> but either way, I enjoy the mess out of this film. It's again, a classic instant classic that, Everybody I've talked to is just, just raves about it, how amazing this movie is, story-wise, character, uh, the romantic, uh, the romantic, uh, the, the the relationship, as Ashley said, the, uh, the more natural, the more... Um, uh, As a progression? Yes, thank you. That's what I'm looking for. Thank you. Very progressive. Progression. Yes. Uh, amazing story. Uh, a very natural, progressing uh, love story between two characters. Like Ashley said before, it's it's not, 
oh, she's pretty. I'm going to marry her. And she's like, oh, you're my true love. Oh, let's get married. Okay. It's, it's this more two characters getting to know each other and like coming to one another's aid in their time of need. And, um, I mean, like it's, it's a, a wonderful, um, it's a wonderful telling of like how love works and it's not be like, it, it's not like how like the traditional romances tell us it has, I'm repeating myself again, but it's, it's an amazing story. It's an amazing story. You have, like Ashley said before this, uh, kind of reversals of the, uh, the villain and the hero. It's, um, it's, it's not focused on it's, it's just an amazing story. I'm, I'm fumbling over myself because of how amazing this movie is. And I'm just, it's, it's awestrucking to see how amazing this movie was created. Uh, the, the heights and depths of things and the animation and the use of caps, uh, which eventually came become, uh, which was that time called Pixar. Um, uh, Made by Pixar. But yeah, it was made by Pixar. By then. Yeah, but just I love this movie. Uh, there's no secret in my life. I love Disney films. Uh, one of my favorite films is Tangled. I love Tangled to death. Mm-hmm. Um, we will finish the series eventually. We will get there when we get there. <laughs> I can't wait to get the end of that series. It's so good. Oh my gosh, it, it really, it yeah. really is. Yes, it is. Buckle up. Buckle up. Yes. <laughs> Just a little bit. But either way, I love this film to death, so I'm giving it a 9.5. It does have little foibles here and there. Where did Gaston get his automa- semi-automatic blunder bust? I must know! Let <laughs> it go. <laughs> anyway... I'm just going to build a snowman over here and just wallow in my, my historical nerdness over here for a minute. Jacob, it's May in Texas. And after the rain, the best you're going to be able to pull off is a mud man. I'll, I'll, just, I'll just grab a bunch of salt and put it on the ground and wallow in it. Jacob, build yourself a bridge and get over it. No, I'm I not going to pull a Julius Caesar and didn't build a bridge whole, over the Tiber. I didn't say your whole thing, but anyway. <laughs> uh, that's, I assume that's you. Yes. Okay. A, amazing movie. If you have not watched it, what in the world are you doing? <laughs> Listen to us right now. Go watch it. Yes. Either go find a physical copy, which you can now. Thank you, Disney Vault. Or go to Disney Plus. Or go to Disney there. Plus. Go watch and, it. It's amazing. Go it's love a, on this and movie. And it's in 4K HDR and Disney Plus. So yes. do that. Yeah, it's if amazing. You've got, if you've Go got the it. ability to stream that, do that. Yeah. Uh, that, so that brings us to the end of this episode. Uh, Ashley, we want to thank you for joining us. Uh, where can we find you? You can find me on Instagram and Twitter at APK1186. I like to post pictures of my different nerdy collections on Instagram and on Twitter. I like to talk about all things at the intersection of faith and fandom. Awesome. Nice. Very nice. Uh, Our stuff, of course, be in the outro here in just a second. But next week, we're reviewing another movie involving a uh, princess and a prince. But a sword is involved. Two swords are involved. Two swords. I thought they were... 
No. Obviously, I don't know my He-Man and She-Ra lore. <laughs> yeah, we're doing He-Man and She-Ra, Secret of the Sword. Is that correct? Am yes. I saying the name right? Okay. Yes. So join us next week for that. In the meantime, this has been Drew. This is Jacob. This has been Ashley. <laughs> and we'll catch you in the next frame. For the power of Grayskull! <laughs> Come, Jacob. We must prepare for next week. Prepare for what, Drew? Same thing we do every week, Jacob. Record a podcast! Oh, boy! So where can they find you, Jacob? You can find me on Facebook at Jacob B. Heron. Also on Facebook at Jacob's Daily Art Corner, where I try to draw each and every day. I don't get to it as often as I like, but uh, join me there. Also, you can find me on Instagram at Jacob B. Heron. On Twitter at Jacob Heron and Letterbox at Jacob Heron. So where can they find you, Drew? You can also follow me on Letterbox at GGeorge759. Facebook as Drew Dodgen. Uh, my Facebook page where you can see pictures I've taken at Drew's Photo Bin. You can also follow me on Twitter at GGeorge759. You can email us at thecellcastpodcast at gmail.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at cast underscore cell. You can follow us on Twitch at twitch.tv slash thecellcastgaming. You can also follow us on YouTube at Cellcast. Listen to our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Play Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, and your favorite podcast directory. You can also listen to us on the Movie of the Week podcast with Jim Heron, where we talk about live-action movies. And remember, Cell is a single single L. L.